Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. What you have just participated in has been a common greeting among followers of Christ for centuries following the resurrection of Jesus during the 50 days of Easter. Now, if, uh, if you lived in Russia, you would uh, follow that by a uh, greeting of three kisses. But in this COVID-19 season, none of that. Maybe just uh, uh, some waves or, uh, or a wink or three or maybe a long-distance high-five or an air hug or something like that. But uh, Christ calls us to be fools for him, not foolish. <laughs> well, during this whole season of lockdown, I know that we have been uh, finding, as you have been, trying to find ways to be encouraged. And one of the ways that I think that we are encouraged most is through good stories, so you've been, look, you've been reading good stories. You've been reading them online. You've been reading them in magazines and books. You've been re, uh, watching them in movies. Well, this morning, I am here to tell you the best story, the greatest story. In fact, the resurrection is the greatest story ever told. It is the very thing on which our faith hangs. The resurrection proves that all that we believe about Jesus is true. We believe Jesus to be the source of our salvation because of the resurrection. Because of the resurrection. The Bible says that humans were created to be in perfect relationship with God. But we sinned and we broke that relationship. And we created this distance that, that we couldn't do anything about. Only God could. And so he loved us so much that he became one of us. He became a human being and part of his own creation and allowed himself the consequence of that distance, the consequence of our sin, the consequence being death. Jesus came to earth to die, to die for our sins. And in doing so, at the end of the story, as it turns out, he defeats death. He defeats death. Jesus rose proving from the dead, proving that he is who he says he is, proving that, he, that his power is stronger than death, Proving that for those who are in Christ, that this is not the end. Now, we, we say that, but it's not just about the end. It's not just about getting to the end of this life and then being with Jesus. No. Think of the resurrection as a kind of a, a cork being blown out of a bottle, like we just showed to our kids just a minute ago. A, a bottle that contains the kingdom of God. Now that Jesus has been raised, the kingdom of God has been spilling out all over our world by way of the Holy Spirit. And the door through which the Spirit comes is the heart of all of those who believe. But belief here is more than just agreeing with some truths along the way, more than just mental assent. It is enthusiastic adhesion to Christ. It is allegiance to Christ and to Him only. In faith, we become part of this new flow of new life, a new kingdom when we let the Holy Spirit have defining influence in our lives and see him as living his life through us. Years ago, years ago I was introduced to a Wendell Berry poem that, uh, in, in which he invites us to consider our lives, what we value, how we see the world. 
He invites us in the last line to practice resurrection. To practice resurrection. So every time someone puts their trust in Christ, he or she practices resurrection. When someone decides uh, then not every time someone decides not to drink and do right by their spouse, they practice resurrection. Every time someone chooses to give to a child or to a friend, rather than just getting through their agenda for the day, they practice resurrection. Um, every time someone, every time you pra- give grace to those with whom you disagree, or, or those who are hard to love, or even those who you might uh, consider not living a life that is God honoring, you practice resurrection. Sarah and I know a couple who who have given up. Uh, their comfort, who have given up even their retirement to adopt special needs kids. They practice resurrection. And this is what Easter people do. They practice resurrection. In the midst of apathy and deadness and destruction, followers of Christ serve in view of the hope established in Jesus' death and resurrection that one day God will remake it all. He will redeem it all, this whole creation and give light and new hope. This, this gives us light and new hope right here, right now. And because of that hope, there should be an urgency to what we do and how we share this with the world. I mean, that's exactly what happened on that first resurrection morning. The two Marys uh, come to the tomb, says Matthew, in his uh, version of this story. <clears throat> they come to look into the tomb, or to look at the tomb. Now, We assume from the other Gospels that they came to finish the job of anointing the body, the job that had been done kind of hastily on Friday night before it was dark, before the Sabbath began at sundown, the Sabbath being the day of rest for Jews in which no work was done. And and they couldn't then work again until uh, Sunday morning, and here now were the women. Now maybe, maybe the anointing of the body happened some time later. Maybe... Maybe they were just there to help them uh, because they couldn't help themselves because they, they had to see, they had to know, they, they had to experience it for themselves. Maybe, maybe they were just there to remember and let the whole event sink in. Maybe they were just there to let the whole last three years sink in. They just were compelled. They had to be there. Well, for whatever reason, they came. They came, says Matthew, and they saw. They saw the stone rolled back and they saw the angel sitting there like a full-blown explosion sitting on the stone. They saw, on closer inspection, they saw that Jesus' body was no longer there. And moments later, they saw Jesus himself. And after they see and experience this overwhelming event, after they see the blazing angel, after they see Jesus himself, In a new resurrected state, they are commanded and even compelled to go. To go. Go and tell the disciples, tells the angels, says the angel. Go and tell my brothers, says Jesus. And then at the end of the chapter, at at the end of the book of Matthew, the last chapter, Jesus stands on the mountain in Galilee and and with his disciples and tells them, go and tell the whole world. Tell the whole world. You notice the pattern? Come, see, go. It's always been the pattern. Jesus says to his disciples, come and see, and then sends them. 
He sends them out uh, in, in the middle of their ministry. He sends them out at the end of his ministry as in his bodily form. This is what we are invited to do today and every day. We're invited to come to Jesus to be part of his kingdom, to see who he is as the one who overcomes death and, and, and experience resurrection, experience his saving grace through the forgiveness of sins, and then go and practice resurrection. Share this hope with the world and the things that we do and the things how we live and, and all that we say. We practice this spilling out of the kingdom. This We practice resurrection when we participate in acts of grace and forgiveness and love and redemption. And you say, well, okay, Mark, but what, what, does, that, what does that mean, really? I mean, what do you mean? Can we actually, are you saying, bring people back to life? Well, in a sense, yes, yes. At least we create the possibility for life out of death. Every time you bring hope into a situation where joy shatters despair, where you forgive others and, and give them an opportunity, to give them their dignity back and the possibility with, for a future with Jesus. Every time you listen, every time you confront injustice, yes, yes, you create the potential for the dead to come back to life. Of course, of course, it's Christ who does the resurrecting, for sure. But by his spirit, he releases the kingdom. He releases the kingdom of God through his church, through you and through me. And so that means that we have to first bring ourselves. We must first be resurrected before we can then go and practice resurrection. So let me say it like this. I could preach a sermon like this, and I've heard, I'm sure you have, have heard these sermons before. So let's say I preach a sermon on, on having a critical spirit. So I would say something like this. This is how the outline of the sermon would go. I, I struggle with having a critical spirit. Do you have trouble struggling with a, uh, with a critical spirit? Well, we know that a critical spirit isn't God-honoring. And we want to honor God, so we shouldn't have a critical spirit. And there's all kinds of things that we can do to not have a critical spirit, which we shouldn't do, <laughs> right? And that could be a sermon, and all of those things would be true, but it absolutely misses the point. When it comes to being critical, we have to die and rise again. There has to be a death and a resurrection if we are going to overcome a critical spirit. Paul Miller, in his book, uh, The J-Curve, discusses how we participate in Christ's resurrection right now. He says that there are four things that are resurrected. As we seek to be empowered by God's Spirit that is on the loose in the world right now, the first thing he says is that when we come to know Jesus, our spirit is resurrected. Our spirit is resurrected, that we are filled with joy. Now, there's obviously all kinds of things and spiritual disciplines that we can do to allow God an open door through which he can come. But our spirit is resurrected. We carry joy and the reminder of Easter with us all day long. Our spirit is resurrected. Secondly, our seeing is resurrected. We, we see God in Jesus dying in order to provide for a resurrection, and to provide for a resurrection for the rest of the world. And so we begin to see our little deaths in our lives that we say no to, 
that we allow to die in us, creating potential for resurrection. We see the little deaths, the little dying, create resurrections in us. Thirdly, uh, we see our obedience is resurrected. We begin to understand that it is more important to be obedient than to be right, than to be justified, than to, than to win an argument. I mean, you just take a look at Jesus himself. <laughs> he didn't have to be right. He didn't use the fact that he was God to pull down authority on anybody else. And the same is true of Paul. Our obedience is more important than being right. Our obedience is resurrected. And lastly, our situations then are resurrected. Instead of seeing my sad situation, I see God. And I'm thankful, I'm joyful, I'm filled with peace and joy. And because of that, all of these things, because there is resurrection going on in me, it spills over into the resurrection of all the other people around me. My discomfort leads to your comfort. When I embody Christ in my dying, my little, the little deaths that go on in me, and his rising in me, you see Christ in me. Your obedience, your obedience is resurrected because you experience uh, that kind of obedience in me. You see it and it's just, sorry, infectious. <laughs> it's the right word. Um, your situation is transformed as as, res- as the resurrection I feel and I see and respond to infects you. It's like, it's just contagious. You see how this works. Miller tells us a very simple story of a guy by the name of Matt, who 20 years prior to this story being told, his wife left him. But for 20 years, he stayed faithful to his wife and, and, and poured himself into his three daughters. Now the last of his three daughters was getting married as he was telling this story. And he was, was experiencing joy over her new life, but also sadness because of the separation uh, that he would have with her. Well, during the ceremony, by some uh, mistake, his ex-wife, now on husband number three, sat next to him. But seen through the resurrection lens, he says that he has no bitterness. He had no bitterness you see, resurrected vision sees death transformed and it kept him from saying, well, that was beautiful except for my ex sitting next to me. She, she almost ruined it as she does everything. No, no. Alertness to resurrection dethrones that whole victim mentality and keeps dying from having the last word. Or a little bit more dramatic story. Miller writes, Nick Ripkin tells a story of Dimitri, a pastor who had been imprisoned for his faith and survived 17 years in a Soviet prison camp. Well, every morning, Dimitri would rise, stand at the end of his bed, hold out his arms and sing at the top of his lung his heart song, his heart song, his favorite worship hymn. (laughs) Well, all of the other uh, 1,500 uh, hardened criminals would respond with boos and jeering and, and, and mocking him. Well, after 15 years of being in the prison camp, thinking that his, his whole family had died, he first offered to sign and then refused to sign a confession of all the things that he had done wrong, which he hadn't. And in his final act of defiance, 
He posted a page of Bible verses on a pillar. Well, furious with him, the prison guards led him away to what appeared to be his execution. And as they led him away, all of the 1,500 prisoners came out and began singing in full voice, Dimitri's heart song. Stunned, the guards asked him, Who are you? To which Dimitri responded, I am Jesus among you. Well, they returned him eventually to his cell, and soon after that, he was released. Dimitri's resurrection lens gave him a new way of seeing, fixing him on a new way of being, and the result was resurrection spirit all around him in the hearts and in the songs of the prisoners that were there. Do you see? As we practice resurrection, that resurrection is infectious to all the people around us. You know, I've been thinking uh, a little bit lately. When the stone of the tomb was rolled away, we always assume that the stone was removed so that Jesus can get out. But if you keep reading in the story, we find out that well, Jesus, in his new resurrected state, he can pass through walls. He could have passed through the stone. See, he doesn't need the stone removed. We need the stone removed. We need to see, we need to understand what happened on that first Easter morning so that we can know who Christ is and what he did for us. That he did all of this for the love of us. For the love of us, the message of Easter is that God decisively acted to defeat death. And because of that is on the loose in the world, transforming, resurrecting old lives into new ones. Jesus is on the loose in our very bodies and souls, ushering in this new kingdom through us. The very first witnesses to Easter knew full well that something had happened to them. Their world had been entered, encountered, transformed, reformed. Yes, Rome still went marching on. The the high priest was still doing his job on Monday morning. Uh, The sun still rose and, and had set as it always had. There was still struggle and injustice and pain in the world but the, the disciples, injected with the, by the witness of the risen Lord among them, went out and changed the world of which they were a part. They are the greatest proof that the resurrection, uh, of the resurrection as they went to their deaths, proclaiming their belief that Jesus is who he says he is, and that three days after his horrible death, he rose again. They practiced resurrection. We, the church, continue to be that proof to the world that the resurrection is still the greatest single event in history. It's the greatest story ever told. It is God's good news that Jesus is who he says he is. It is God's good news that death is not the end. It is God's good news that that his kingdom is on its way. Tony Campolo wrote about a life-changing sermon that he heard in his book, It's Sunday, or It's Friday, but Sunday's coming. 
It was preached by a wise African-American pastor as he told about the events of Easter week. So, says Campolo, for an hour and a half, he preached one line over and over again. It's Friday, but Sunday's coming. He started his sermon really soft by saying, it was Friday. It was Friday and my Jesus was dead on the tree. But that was Friday and Sunday's coming. We came on louder as he said, it was Friday and Mary was crying her eyes out. The disciples were running in every direction like sheep without a shepherd. But that was Friday and Sunday's coming. The preacher kept going. He picked up the volume and still more shouted, It was Friday! And the cynics were looking at the world and saying, As things have been, so shall they be. You can't change anything in this world. You can't change anything. But those cynics don't know that it was only Friday. Sunday is coming. It was Friday. And on Friday, those forces that oppose the poor and make the poor to suffer were in control. But that was Friday. And Sunday's coming. By the time an hour and a half had passed, the preacher was finally yelled at the top of his lungs, It's Friday! And 500 people who had gathered there yelled in unison, But Sunday's coming! (laughs) There is no doubt, there is no doubt that we live in a Good Friday world. Right now we are surrounded by a, a disease that is killing thousands of people every single day throughout the world, wreaking havoc on on our own lives, on those who are on the front lines dealing with this kind of sickness and death, wreaking havoc in the lives of, of store owners and small businesses and whole economies, families who can't even hold funerals for their loved ones. We live in a world that is filled with despair and questioning, and unfairness, and troubles, and mistakes, and hurts, and griefs, and all of it. But we know the truth of this day, don't we? We know the truth of this day. That though Jesus suffered, died, and was buried, on the third day he rose again from the dead. He was resurrected. Sunday has come and is still coming. We may live in a Good Friday world, but my friends, we are Easter people. We are Easter people, and Easter people don't remain silent. They can't. We can't. Not when we have enthusiastically adhered ourselves to Christ. Not when we let the Spirit uh, go in our lives, the Spirit of the living God loose in our lives, allowing Him to live in and through us. Not when we understand that Jesus Christ who Jesus Christ is and what he came to do, that his death and the truth of his resurrection is the hope of the world. Easter people tell the story. They tell the story. They live it. They breathe it. They show it in who they are. They come to Scripture hungry to grow and learn more. They seek out ways for Christ to be bigger while they grow smaller. They find ways to allow little deaths in their life so there can be potential for resurrection in their lives. And that resurrection can be contagious to all of those people around them. They participate in acts of redemption and forgiveness and grace because they know how far God came to save them. In short... They practice resurrection. We practice 
resurrection. May it always be so in this, our church. May it always be so in you.